and my own fonts, and we, we just want to pop you off. Compelling insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Okay, hour three is here. It'll last for an hour, and it'll be quick. So if you want to call in, call this number, please. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. So we'll get back to you, Ray, in San Antonio. Uh, if you don't mind, just give me a quick recap for people tuning in right now so they know what we're talking about. All right. So back in August, uh, my best friend, uh, his wife, my best friend, she called in uh, just kind of asking for advice on how to approach me, basically. They were calling um, regarding me. They were concerned about me, um, a little bit about me. Um, San Antonio, Texas, uh, married to the church, um, divorced after a 16-month marriage. Uh, that'll be a, another phone call later on. And uh, basically divorced but never annulled. Um, and so living a life in sin of of still being married to the church, uh, but dating and having relationships outside of that marriage. Um, and so they, they approached me several times, but it was always using maybe um, scenarios or uh, just never basically coming out and saying, smacking me in the face with it. Hey man, you're living a life of sin. In God's eyes, you're still married. You need to quit your stuff, get your annulment, and then you can start dating, um, you know, and going about your life. But until then, mm-hmm. you got to stop. Um, I had plans to take trips with uh, some of these girls, and so they were just really concerned about me. And so my friend called in. You gave her some advice um, uh, about the, the the dogma of hell, and so that's where we're at. And just wanted to call and follow up with you and, and let you know where I'm at now. And, and yeah, basically please do. how how um, what really ended up working. So it took them a couple months. It took them a couple months, and my, my best friend was very upset with me. I mean, uh, we we hang out basically every other day just to chat and catch up and pray, and and uh, it, it started to where he was maybe coming around once a week or it was every two weeks, and finally it just like mm-hmm. to the point where he was just telling me, look, man, I don't like coming over because, you know, this, and I don't know how to get it to you, uh, through you. And so it was finally that. it was, And it really was the it was my my friend it was my friend's wife that finally with her kindness and her love that it finally sunk in my head that i was living in a life of sin but it was basically they just never came out and said it and so it was hard for me to process it thinking that i was fine because i was doing all the motions and they they politely said it you know i was playing church at that time and so um so yeah, that's just where I'm at. Hey, you know, I, I I love them and I appreciate the phone call. I am very grateful for them. I'm very grateful for your talk show as well, Patrick. Thank you. Um, and that that it's helped. It's 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 helped. But sometimes, um, I guess what I'm trying to get to is when we have these difficult conversations with our friends about maybe the way they're living, and we don't want to have those, but we care enough about them to have them. Sometimes we just need to tell them what it is and not use metaphors or analogies or scenarios. And it just has to say, we got to start off. I'm coming to uh, to you with, from a place of my heart and I don't want you to go to hell. Right. Uh, but if you continue going this way, you're surely going to end up there. What good friends you have. And I, I vaguely remember the phone call. I have call. the best friends, man. You do. Yeah, you sure do. do. 
And you're a good per, you're a good man too, Ray, because it's a stand-up guy who would be willing to take that that difficult advice and act upon it the way you have. So it says a lot of good about you. You mentioned the book on hell, the dogma of hell. What role, if any, did that book play in all of this? Patrick, being a cradle Catholic, I know about hell. I've heard a lot of these stories before. Um, it, it, it made it a lot more real. You know, as we get older, that knocking on death's door gets a lot closer. Mm-hmm. So it's always that I want to stay in a state of grace. I want to stay in a state of grace. because I don't want to be one of those that comes back to tell anybody that hell is real. I want to tell them now hell is real. But moreover, heaven is more real. And yeah. we should strive to get there. So what role, did they give you a copy of that book, or what role, if any, did it play? Was it not part of the equation, or was it? Not so much part of the equation, uh, but it is a great book. Anybody that, that's struggling with their faith and and and, 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 and bordering on that line of, of living in sin just needs to read it, just to reiterate mm-hmm. themselves about, hey, if I continue living this way, this is where I'm going to be, or I'm going to be one of these stories. Uh, one more thing that I'd like to add, Patrick, uh, in all these years since the divorce, and I have the annulment's in process right now. Uh, actually, my, my uh, priest asked me to give them a call and just to follow up on them because I'm going to be on an axe retreat in a couple of weeks, and he wants me to use this whole story as my testimony as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in my time that I've gone to confessions, and I know confessional isn't a, a therapy session, uh, but no priest at any time, and I'm fully open about when I come to them, Father, I'm a married man through the church, but divorced, and I have, I'm not an old, but I'm, I have a girlfriend, and we have sex. Never was it, I was absolved of my sins, of course, but it never was it, son, you're still going to live in sin the moment you walk out of here. You're still in a relationship with somebody that's not your wife. Mm-hmm. Not once did I hear that, and I would have loved to have heard it, and maybe it would have shined a light on me so long ago. So the the let's pause on that for a minute. So the priest to whom you went to confession, did you give them reason to think that you intended to stop shacking up with your girlfriend or did did it not even come up? Did they just sort of give you absolution and you're on your way uh, with no question? It never really came up, but I've always started my confessions that way. I want to be completely honest with them and just but it, so I can at least have some spiritual guidance, but it was never given to me. And- well, what I mean is here here's what I'm saying. Did you give the priest the impression that you were, when you were done with confession, that was it, you weren't going to see this woman anymore? Or was it sort of understood that you were going to continue in the relationship? I'd like to believe that I was sort of understood because I never did give him any reason to think that the relationship was going to end because I thought I was, as long as I confessed, I was fine. It never dawned on me and never sank in that, no, you're not fine if you're in a relationship because these sins are forgiven. But the moment you walk out of this confessional, you're back under that sin. Yeah. Well, I can't understand, and I'm not a priest, never have been, so never will be, but I I can't understand. I believe you. Don't get me wrong, Ray. I believe you. I don't doubt that what you're saying is true, but it boggles my mind that a priest in the confessional would just be so blasé about this and not do his job, which is to be a physician of souls and to give you the right prescription of medicine that you need. And and quite frankly, the priests are trained in the seminary that if the penitent does not evince a kind of sorrow for sin in some way, if there's no evidence that the sinner is not planning to go back out and keep committing the same sin, then he is to withhold absolution. He is to not grant absolution if there's no evidence that the sinner is contrite. And it sounds like you weren't contrite, at least in that sense. So it's an odd right. situation. I'm sorry that happened to you. 
No, it's it's fine. But again, I'm I'm grateful for these friends. I'm grateful for this show. Um, you know, between you and and uh, Father Mike Schmidt and and several other of these priests, I think we're going to be catechized even better now. Um, and, and thank you. You're le- you're le- you you are leading souls to heaven, Patrick. Thanks be to God. God works through relevant radio. That's for sure. So, Amen. Well, Ray, what an interesting and amazing story. I'm so glad that you're back on track. You are back on track, right? You dismissed that lady. I am. I mean, okay. again, we're all sinners, are we not? And we all need the the uh, our great the grace of our God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I understand it now. I know where they were coming from. It got it got pretty annoying. I mean, it got pretty annoying that they would bring it up all the time, all the time. It's like, man, what what am I missing? And it was finally her. And yeah. I said, you know, next time that you want to have a conversation with me and have a hard talk with me, bring her with you. <laughs> yeah. So she was able to say what your friend only talked around, right? He didn't exactly. give you the, oh, the yeah. straight. Oh, yeah. She did such a beautiful okay. job. She did such a And she was God a bless her. It was back in August, August 17th. Uh, it was your second phone call if you want to go back and listen to that one. I just might, Ray. I just might. Yeah, well, August. I thank God for his grace in your life. And kudos to Patrick. your friends. They're good people Amen. looking out for you. Amen. Thanks, and Whataburger Ray. rules in San Antonio. <laughs> hey, I'm a I'm an In and Out Burger kind of guy. I know. But I, I've had it at Whataburger before. They're pretty good. Oh, whenever you're in San Antonio, I'd love to take you out to a good Whataburger. Uh, you're on. Let's do it. All right, man. Have a great Ray. one. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate that. Oh uh, yes, I love stories like that, Cyrus. Last August, we had a conversation on this show, and look at the good fruit that it's borne by God's grace. Love it. Cyrus is speechless. Look at that. Look at that. doesn't happen very often, but he's speechless. How about Albert now in Eau Claire, Wisconsin? Good morning, Albert. Yeah, hello. Yeah, I got it. It was just introduced to me um, last night, so I don't know that much about it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's called the Catechism of the Good Shepherd. It's, they claim it's a, a successful program, mm-hmm. and I just want to read the sentence. It increases uh, con- consider a most effective program for evangelizing and discussing and disciplining young children. Mm-hmm. It, do you know anything about Catechism of the Good Shepherd? I do. Yeah, it's, co- it's called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and it's excellent. It's very successful. It's very orthodox. It is... Um, it's a very good program, and more and more dioceses and parishes are adopting it formally as their method of catechesis for children. It's excellent. Because I went on the computer this morning, and there was some negativity about it. You know, it, it kind of referred it to uh, some of it comes from New Age um, religion. Nah, 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 that's not oh. true. There are always naysayers and grumpy old people who don't necessarily have to be old, but they're going to try to shoot something down. So, no, every okay. every bishop I've talked to who has implemented the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, every priest I've talked to who's done this, moms and dads whose children go through it, all of them speak very highly of it. So everything yeah. I know about it from personal experience is positive. Okay, and then, and then just one other comment about, they yeah. said it does teach doctrine, but it doesn't teach the full doctrine about, you know, the Church. Well, okay, let's look at that. So when you're dealing with a first grader, um, the first grader it needs to know what first graders need to know. The first grader doesn't need to know, uh, for example, about the processions within the Trinity, one God and three persons, and the, the theological nuances of 
you know, the persons in the Trinity, he probably couldn't comprehend it anyway. Uh, a mm-hmm. second grader doesn't need to know about the church's teaching on the insolubility of marriage because of all the things associated with it. So there's a an age-appropriate quality to the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It's for the little lambs, and the little lambs need a certain level of catechesis, and when they get older, they'll learn more and more and more, but it's not appropriate to dump the entire body of theological and biblical doctrine on these children at that age. They need to be brought along in stages. So, no, I don't think that's a fair argument or a fair criticism of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Okay, this helps me a lot. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad it could be of service. 888-914-9149. Let's go now to, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let's go to Kenneth in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, Kenneth. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Doing well, thank you. Oh, I was supposed to say that, sorry. <laughs> Everybody does. So I had, a uh, yeah, two questions. Uh, actually, I picked up a little bit on the tail end of the one guy who went to confession with a girlfriend. I, that's another question I might have if we have time. But the first okay. one was, I called a while back. Uh, I was living in California. I'm 53 years old. And once that, that abortion sanctuary state came through, I was like, I got to get out of here. And I mm-hmm. asked you, if somebody has the ability to move, which I did, uh, if we stay there, would it still be a sin? No, so I'm in no, it would not now, be a sin. Glorious. So let me before we before we proceed, I want to hear all about your new lodgings, etc. But to answer your question, because we have many listeners in California, we've got a huge presence in California. Um, for what it's worth, I love the state of California. I'm a California native. Nancy and I both born and raised there, uh, lived most of our lives in California, and so there's a lot of good I can say about California. I'm not at all happy about what it has become under the leftist democratic leadership that has just basically obliterated many good things in the state of California. So I deplore that, but I love California. But if, if you didn't move from California, even though you don't like what's going on there, and even if you had the wherewithal to move, but you just didn't move. No, you would not be committing a sin by staying in the state of California. If anything, you'd be growing in virtue by putting up with all their nonsense. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I moved and it's glorious over here. <laughs> and you're in where all now? Right. You're in Texas now? Fort Worth, Texas. Look at that. Yeah, Fort yeah, Worth is a great city. Looking out of my backyard, there's a bunch, a a bunch of acres. Yes, our second question was, mm-hmm. uh, I was just kind of thinking, I remember Pope Benedict XVI said that the Jews are indisputably God's chosen people. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, then I started thinking, well, Jesus, our Lord, was Jewish. And mm-hmm. if when we receive communion, do we kind of become like dotted line Jews? Dotted line Jews. That sounds like a band name. I haven't heard it put that no. way. What do you mean by that? That's interesting. <laughs> like Cyrus, jot know, that one down, dotted Jews? line Jews. I don't know if that would be a band name. but So well, what does that mean exactly? So if the Jews are God's chosen people, I'm a Mexican guy from Boyle Heights. Mm-hmm. But when I eat the Lord in the Holy Eucharist, then the Jew that our Lord was Jewish, mm-hmm. I become kind of Jewish. Aha, uh-huh. I see what you're saying. Well, let's yeah. let's answer the question this way. Pope Pius XI, when he wrote, he, it was actually co, it was ghostwritten for him by Eugenio Pacelli, his successor as Pope. He became Pope Pius XII 
But prior to that, he was the, well, before he was the um, Secretary of State, he was the papal nuncio to Germany during the rise of Hitler in the 1920s and the Third Reich and all that stuff. So Pope Pius XI wrote an encyclical, ghostwritten by Eugenio Pacelli, called Mit Brennender Sorge, with burning anxiety, I think it's translated. And it was a, it amounted to a denunciation of, of Hitlerism, of Nazism, and the persecution of the Jews. And in that encyclical, Pope Pius XI said that all of us, all Christians, certainly all Catholics, are spiritual Semites, meaning that we are spiritually descendants of Abraham. So the Jews are descendants of Abraham in, a, in an ethnic sense, whether it's Ashkenazi or uh, whatever version of whatever branch of Judaism these people ethnically come from. He said we are spiritual Semites, spiritual Jews, if you want to use that term, and, and so we are. So what you're referring to is in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, we receive his body, blood, soul, and divinity, meaning we're receiving Jesus as the divine person he is and his divine nature, but also his human nature, which includes his body, which includes his everything that's proper to a human nature we receive. And so it's not, you know, it's not ludicrous to say that Jesus is a Jew. He was a Jew historically when he was walking this earth. And so when you receive the Holy Eucharist, we can't divorce that dimension of his body, blood, soul, and divinity. We don't concentrate on it. We don't sort of single it out. But I don't think it would be theologically untoward to say that in a certain sense, yes. Um, but we tr we transcend that category uh, in a way that we would transcend, you know, if Jesus has dark hair, let's say that he had black hair. I don't know what color hair Jesus's was, but let's say it was black hair um, or very dark brown hair. We can acknowledge that that is part of his physiology, but we wouldn't say that therefore we are now participating in black hair because Jesus had black hair and we received communion. Therefore, we now in a certain mystical way kind of have black hair. We wouldn't go that far and say that kind of thing because it'd be missing the point. But oh. um, the spiritual connection with Abraham <laughs> as Pope Pius XI said, is far more pertinent or far more, mm, I guess, worthy of attention, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. And and uh, lastly, I, if I have like a, maybe a couple of minutes, I'll tell you a story about when in the early 2000s I was living with my wife, but we weren't married, so we weren't receiving communion. So one day I went to... Uh... Oh, darn. I apologize, Kenneth. Look at that. The music just started, so... Forgive me, I'll have to take a rain check on the story. Maybe some other time. Maybe when we have a purpose-driven taco in Fort Worth, Texas someday. You never know. Until uh, a minute or two from now, I'll be right back. Thanks to network sponsor Pushpay. PushPay offers parishes a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at relevantradio.com slash pushpay. That's relevantradio.com slash pushpay. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> The Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio and RelevantRadio.com. Yeah. 
that's good music right there, Cyrus. Yeah, it's a band you, you pointed me towards. I'll, I'll have to check them out. Yeah, they're good. They're real good. They got real popular. They were just four guys. That's all. Had a band and they got very, very big. That's all. That's all. Let's go to Elvia now in San Antonio. A lot of Texas calls today. Welcome, Elvia. Elvia. Hello? Oh, hi there. Yes. Hi, Patrick. Sorry. Um, That's okay. I got disconnected. Okay. All is forgiven, time. Elvia. So, All is forgiven. Thank you. So very quick. Um, we've been listening to the Saints podcast. And Bernadette cannot see Mary. She does not recognize Mary. So my children, I'm calling on behalf of them. They're at school. Okay. They were asking me, Mom, how come they, how come she cannot see, does not recognize Mary if she's going through catechism classes? Do they not talk to her about Mary? So that's the question they had this morning, and I didn't know how to answer. Hmm, that's a great question. This is interesting, and I, as you're asking the question, I'm thinking about some of the other Marian apparitions, say, at Fatima, the three children, who did not know who this beautiful lady was. And they, of course, mm-hmm. were steeped in their Catholic catechism as little ones. They learned all about Our Lady, and they could pray the Hail Mary, and they did. They prayed the Hail Mary. They did a kind of shortcut version. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary. <laughs> you know, they they mm-hmm. uh, did an abbreviated version. So they knew who she was in terms of the Church's teaching, but they didn't know who she was when they saw— they didn't know who she was when they saw her. And the same is true with St. Juan Diego in— um, Tepeyac, when the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to him 500 years ago, we now know her as Our Lady of Guadalupe, he did not recognize her. He did not who, know who she was. He, mm-hmm. In fact, as you probably know the story, the first time she appeared to him, because he was on his way to go help a, a sick uncle, he was so, I don't know, bothered by it. I'm not sure what the right word for it is, but he was so bothered by it that the next day, he went a different way, hoping that he wouldn't see her again. And mm-hmm. she found him on the other side of the hill where he was going. So he didn't un- he didn't know who she was. So in these different Marian apparitions, and I'm sure there are others that we could look at, the children didn't necessarily immediately know that it was Our Lady, and she revealed that to them. And so, as is the case, as was the case with Saint Bernadette, she didn't also recognize immediately who this was. And one could be, I think one could be forgiven if you're a Catholic for thinking, could this be an angel maybe? Could this be one of the mm-hmm. saints that God is permitting to appear to me? We know Jesus did that with with Elijah and Moses. He permitted those Old Testament saints to mm-hmm. appear to Peter, James, and John. So um, I think that's the answer to the question. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think so, because they also brought up um, Our Lady of Fatima, and they also brought up um, Juan Diego on because well, mm-hmm. we had like ten minutes to get to. You've got sharp and, kids; they know all about this. Yeah. that's good. <laughs> yes, and mm-hmm. I was like, guys, I'm sorry, I don't know. And they're like, call Patrick, call Patrick. <laughs> well, here's another thing you could point out to them, and your kids are sharp if they already know those things. Mm-hmm. There were instances in the Gospels where Jesus is casting out demons, and they did not really know who he was. It hadn't yet been revealed. Now, later in the Gospels, a demon says, we know who you are. But early on, there was some question on the part of the demons. They they knew this guy, Jesus, he's something totally different from anything we've dealt with before, but we're not quite sure who he is. And so I think it's that phenomenon where 
eventually it was fully revealed Jesus is God. But early on, even the demons were wondering, who is this guy? So mm-hmm. it's not any it's not anything unusual, it seems, especially in, given the humility of these little children. Think of how humble they were and how hidden mm-hmm. they were. And I, I would think one of the thoughts that might cross their minds would be, you know, why on earth would the mother of God appear to me? And here in the mm-hmm. sticks in the middle of nowhere, why would Our Lady... So maybe if you're not expecting or even thinking that something like that could happen, you wouldn't immediately think that that would be her. You would look for some other explanation for it. That seems reasonable to me. Could I add to that? Maybe um, when I tell them, guys, maybe um, their faith just needed to grow, not only Bernadette, but also the priest. Because it's the same thing in Juan Diego, right? The priest Mm -hmm. didn't want to believe him, the Mm -hmm. bishop. So... Can I add something to that? Can I tell them maybe Mama Mary just wanted their faith to grow even sure. more? Sure, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're you're the mom. You're in charge. So you, you're free okay. to tell them whatever you want. You don't need my permission to teach the kids <laughs> okay. what you want. But I, I would encourage you. I mean, I think that's a valid additional point to make. And, of course, if you look at the apparition in, in Tepeyac in what is now Mexico City, the whole point of the miracle of the tilma and the roses was that the bishop would have faith, that he would actually believe this is for real. And, of course, he did, but it took a miracle to make that happen. Because prior to that, I think he thought Juan Diego was a crank. You know, like, yeah, yeah, go on back, and if she appears again, tell her to give you some kind of a sign, not expecting to see him ever come back again. So, sure, I think growth in faith and, and belief in this miracle is definitely part of it. Okay, and then I have one more question they asked, and they asked this a while back. So uh, my my oldest was asking mom, how come um, Jesus chose Peter, who is a married man, to be the head of the church, yet priests cannot get married? When did, when was that changed in the church, where priests were not allowed to be married anymore? Yeah, another good question. Your children are very perceptive. So it is true that St. Peter was a married man. We know that because in um, Capernaum, that's where St. Peter lived and had his fishing business. We read that Jesus healed his mother-in-law of a fever, some sort of illness that had put her in bed, and Jesus healed her. So we know that Simon Peter was married, and we also know that when Simon and... So Peter, James, and John, as we refer to them commonly, when the Lord definitively called them, we're told they got up and left everything to follow Jesus. So, yes, it is true. Peter was a married man, and very possibly, very likely even, he had children, as did some of the other apostles, I'm sure. But that phrase, they got up and left everything, has been understood in the writings of the Church Fathers, for example, as meaning that they they didn't spurn their wives, of course, they didn't abandon their wives, they I'm certain they made some sort of provision to take care of them, but they no longer lived as married men tending to the needs of the wife and the needs of the family and and the household. They literally gave up everything, including the benefits of marriage, to follow Jesus. Now, we don't have much more information in the Gospels or in the New Testament epistles on that specific topic, but we do have enough to say that it's reasonable to assume that their status, even though they were technically married, those few apostles who were, they no longer lived that way. 
they left everything, their jobs, everything, to follow Jesus. So what did that entail? I don't know. There's a, a place where St. Paul refers to some apostles having their wives with them in their journeys. We don't know who those apostles were, but he alludes to that. But even St. Paul himself said, I would rather that you be like I am, unmarried. And he talks about how a married man and a married woman, they are required or their their focus is to please their husband or their wife and to make sure that the household is running smoothly and all those details that go into married life. St. Paul says, I wish that all of you were like me instead, unmarried, because then you could be single-minded and you wouldn't be you wouldn't be divided. You wouldn't be um, concerned on the one hand about your wife and paying bills and things like that. But on the other hand, um, you would be single-minded and able to focus on the Lord and the things of the Lord. So as to the question your children asked you, when did this begin that the priests were not married, there was no specific point. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 19, where he says uh, that some men are eunuchs, meaning that you, you know what a eunuch is, right? You're familiar with that yeah, term, Elvia? Yeah. Okay. You Correct. know what that yeah, means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Lord there says, some men are eunuchs from birth. Some are made so by others, referring to castration. And some are eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He says, this is not for all, but for those to whom this is given, they should accept it. So in his words there, he's referring to men who freely give up marriage and the benefits and goods of marriage in favor of ministry as a priest that will be universal. And so this is the paradigm that the Lord himself set with his own life. He was not a married man. He was universally available. He did not have children. And he says there that some men are called to this, and those who are called to it should accept it. So it began as a discipline in the early church, and it was something that was not required. It was not mandatory. We read about married bishops. We read about married presbyters and married uh, deacons. So that was not at all um, uncommon in the early church. But as the church gained momentum and began to really reflect more deeply on this, it became more of a movement that those men who wanted to pattern their lives as closely as possible after Jesus and paying attention to what St. Paul said about this issue, that they would freely choose to not be married so that they could be single-minded. There were married priests and bishops for sure, but eventually in the Latin rite of the church, and this would have been in the early church, so let's say by about the time of uh, Pope St. Gregory the Great, in the 500s, there we see a decided discipline that the clergy of the church in the West were going to be men who chose celibacy. In the East, there were married clergy, predominantly in the East, and when when the great schism came in the 11th century, when what are now known as the Orthodox churches broke away from the Catholic Church, they maintained the custom of priests being married. Their bishops are not married uh, commonly, and their monks are certainly not married in the East. Um, That would be a point of divergence with the East and the West. But it was a gradual process over time, but um, there's a kind of an overview of it. I hope that's helpful to you, Elvia, and I appreciate the call. You have very, uh, very intelligent children, thanks to you. We're going to take a break, and we'll come right back with more of the Patrick Madrid Show. If you want to send me an email, patrick at relevantradio.com. I'll be right back. 
This hour is supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more Patrick Madrid show. Come on! Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio. Okay. We have a little time left. Let's get to it. Um, Araceli in Los Angeles. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Let me see if I can ask this question correctly. Okay. So um, I've I've heard from priests and uh, even Father Ripperger that, you know, when a soul's in hell, they just have absolute hate. They might have regret, but they have absolutely hate for other souls, for themselves and for just everything. So if that's correct, and I'm not sure, I just want to make sure if I understood that correctly. Mm-hmm. Today's reading speaks about the king and about Lazarus and how Lazarus did make it to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the king is uh, saying once he's passed and he refused to help out others, he's telling, um, was it Moses? Abraham, I believe, right. saying, you know, can you please send Lazarus to give me a, a drop of water? And then he says no. And then um, he says, well, can I at least warn my, my brothers? I have five of them so that they can prevent, you know, this from happening to them. Right. And so I'm thinking, well, if he went to hell, if, that, if that's the case, then he would have absolute hatred for anyone, including his own siblings. And so I'm just wondering, would we, could we assume that the king is in purgatory? <laughs> so the king, so when you say king, you mean the rich man? He's referred to as the rich man. The rich there. man, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, yes, he might yes, have been I'm a king. Sorry, we don't know for sure what his you know, occupation was, but we know he was very wealthy. You're a very astute listener to Jesus, Adeseli, so I'd like to compliment you first of all. And this is something I have always noticed about Luke 16, because in this story, in this example Jesus gives of the rich man, and he's sometimes called Dives, D-I-V-E-S, because in Latin that means rich man. So that wasn't his name, but you'll sometimes hear him referred to as Dives, and he is indeed in a place of torment. He's in a place of punishment. Now, the majority view or the common view of this passage is that he was in hell and that Abraham is was in the place where all the righteous of the Old Testament were waiting in a sort of serene, uh, non-suffering place, and that's where uh, Lazarus went to. So everything about what you just said is cor- is correct. The majority view or the common view is that the rich man was in hell, and he may have been in hell, but I too have always understood this passage to provide a glimmer of the possibility that he might have been in purgatory, which St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 also involves punishment by fire, because he's interceding on behalf of his brothers. And this is also a good example in the Bible of somebody who has died interceding in the afterlife for people who are still alive in this life. Jesus himself gives us this example. So yes, I do see there is at least the possibility that he was in purgatory for this very reason, and that is that he was showing charity. 
He was looking out for, he was trying to do something good for his brothers so they would avoid this. Now, he gets a negative answer, of course, so his his uh, prayer intention, if you want to call it that, was not answered the way he asked for it. But I do see that as the possibility that maybe he was in purgatory. We'll have to wait. When we get there, we can find out. We'll ask Jesus. But in the meantime, I do think there is a glimmer of hope for that. Well, thank you so much, and I'll pray for him as well. Yeah, I mean, couldn't hurt, right? Hey, uh, Divas, if you actually—well, by now he's probably not in purgatory anymore, I would think. (laughs) Um, But if, you know, if he's in purgatory, at the very least we can say this, Araceli, if that person— was a real historical personage. And I, I think he probably was. I think Lazarus was a real historical personage. We know that Abraham was a real historical personage. So it may be that all of the people mentioned in Luke 16 are indeed real. Of course, we know that about Abraham. So at the very least, when you get to heaven, you can look him up and say, so mm-hmm. you obviously were in purgatory, not hell, because if you were in hell, you wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Right? Thank you so much. Yes, You're thank you. welcome. You're welcome. Nice chatting with you. I think, Cyrus, that Adeseli is the first person I've ever bumped into who read that passage the same way that I've always read it. I have never met anybody who said that before. So gold star for Adeseli. Let's go to Robert now in Escondido. Hello, Robert. Welcome. Hi, Mr. Madrid. Uh, my question is um, from your caller from earlier, Ray. Okay. Yeah. Um, he said that he went to confession and he confessed that he is having sexual relationships with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But he knows that when he goes out of confession, he's going to go back to his girlfriend and have sexual relationships with her again. Is that a valid confession? No, it's not. Now, it's interesting that you bring this up because he was describing to me how it used to be, not how it is now. So it used to be that he would go to confession and he was mistaken in his understanding. He thought he could go to confession and be absolved of his sins without intending to stop committing those sins. And so those would be invalid confessions because what's necessary for a valid confession, among other things, is that you have a true uh, desire to stop committing sin. And without that, then you're not really prepared to receive absolution. And even if the priest didn't pick up on that issue and granted absolution, it would be an invalid confession. It wouldn't, we could put it this way, it wouldn't be spiritually beneficial to him. And no graces would accrue, and he would still be stuck in his sins as he was before he walked into the confessional. Isn't that a terrible thing to imagine? Yeah, and, you know, I know it's hard um, as a man, you know, but I would just, you know, I, I guess I misunderstood. I thought he he knew that he was just going to go back to the same thing. Like, that's he did. what I picked up on. No, he did. Okay. You're right. That's what I'm saying. That's how, for him, as he was describing it, that's how it was for however long that phase lasted, where he had no intention of okay. stopping the activity with the girlfriend. And yet yeah. he was going to confession. But he wasn't right. intending to stop this sin. So that... That attitude, that realization now has set in, and so he no longer does that. He's. I asked him if he's back on track, and he said, yeah. So he's no longer doing that. And he understands now that when you go to confession, part of it is you have to really honestly intend to stop committing the sins. Right. Also, is yeah, it clearer now? Thinking about, yeah, but I was, because, um, like, you're not only, you're not only, 
committing a sin, but you're also causing somebody else to commit a sin by having sex with them, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's you know. Well, I mean, assuming she's not your like, wife. If she's yeah, your wife, well, then it's not it a matter of sin. But, so it's not right. his, uh, I know. He said he said it was a, a girlfriend. So I, yeah. I'm, assu- yeah, I'm assuming it's not his wife. Right. No, I was referring to your comment so that people understand that it's it's not a sin in itself un, if it's with your wife, yeah. but clearly his yeah. situation wasn't that. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Right. Are you, if you don't mind me being nosy, I mean, are you going through a struggle in this area yourself? Yeah. I kind of wonder. Yep, I'm going through a struggle and it's just, you know, um, pray to God that, you know, he helps me with the struggle, but, you know, now it's like, it's everywhere. It's like, pray to God, you know, when I go to confession, I confess that I'm struggling with lust. Mm-hmm. And, um, are you married or divorced or what's your situation? Yeah, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm are not, you, are you, oh, go ahead, I don't want to get in a relationship. I don't, I don't have a girlfriend right now. And uh, I, I just don't want to get in a relationship right now. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty, it's like a, I just recently got divorced. Yeah. I'm just kind of trying to work on myself right now. How long I'm were you married? To closer to God. Uh, we were married for a long time, uh, 25 years. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, my natural next question is, is there any possibility that you and your wife can reconcile? Yeah. That would be that. my number one goal. If I were you, you know, it would be but, too. You know, it's, uh, it's hard. Yeah, I, want, I, I definitely want that, but it just it takes two to work things out. And right yeah. now, it's uh, she doesn't uh, she doesn't really want to work it out with me. We still like we have uh, we talk and everything. We are, we're in talking terms, and we have children together. Mm. Uh, All the more reason to reconcile, if possible. Yes. I realize your heart's in the right place. I get that. But hers apparently is not at that same place, right? She's not thinking about restoring the marriage. She's thinking about her next steps. Yeah. But yeah, Mm -hmm. but you know, I I have a lot of guilt in my heart because I am the man. I was supposed to take care of my family. Did you cheat on her or did you walk out on the marriage or did you physically hurt her? You know, we both hurt each other. Like, she walked out on me, but I wasn't mm-hmm. the perfect man. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, um, like, nobody's perfect, but, like, I, you know, I, I didn't, like, cheat on her. But, you know, it's just, I don't know. It just, we, she kind of walked out on me pretty much. Did she give a reason? Did I give a reason? Um, no, no. Did she tell well, you why she walked out? A reason? Yeah. Uh, well, no. She was just she got met somebody else. Yeah. So there were things going on in the marriage, or the state of the marriage was not great, and somebody caught her eye. She went in that direction and walked away. Yeah. And now is she still seeing that other guy or is she? Um, I believe so. Okay. Was there pornography involved beforehand on your part? Pornography? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I was a. I shouldn't be doing that, but uh, I'm gonna tell you, I wasn't like I know I hear stories about it, like addictions, addictions, but um, I don't know. It just uh, and it's like it was in. I'm, I don't think I was like I did like looking to pornography, but I wasn't like addicted. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know what an addict is, but. I know if it wasn't like a daily thing, because I hear stories about people like every day, like for hours. Yeah. And there are obviously different levels of addiction. Some people can be addicted yeah. and it's not as not as frequent, but that was present in the marriage. And I'm assuming, I mean, you didn't say so, but I'm assuming she became aware of it and it made her angry. Was that part of this? I know I'm being very nosy, but but I got the sense that you no. wanted a little help in this area, so I'm trying to help. No, yeah, um, like I said, you know, I have guilt because I was, I am, I'm supposed to be the man, the the of the household, and you know, we we did, and we got, I got married very young. We we you know we had um we had a, a my first son when we were young, 17 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. I was 17, she was 18, but. You know, we have three kids together. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like I knew the right thing to do is, you know, to marry her mm-hmm. and to try to raise a family with her. And you're both Catholic, and, right? Um, you were you both know, raised Catholic. I didn't Catholic. have a chance to, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to, like, I, I think I didn't have a chance to be a man, to grow mm-hmm. up, to, like, learn to be a man. You know, like nobody really taught me how to be a man. What about your dad? Was he a good dad to my you? Dad, was he yeah, present my to dad, you? Uh, he's a good, he's there. He was there, but, you know, it's not like those stories where you hear your dad, you know, like took you out like fishing and he was just there present, like being, just working and yeah. um, providing for the family. But, you know, it's like nothing like a spiritual like, I yeah. wish. And then you got married young. You, were, you said you were 17. So, I mean, 17-year-olds yeah. don't have any business getting married nowadays. So that was part, you had one oh, strike yeah. against you. But, I mean, you can't undo that. It is it is what it is. It happened. And I'm guessing you yeah. went into it in good faith. But you're clueless at 17. I was clueless at 17. Um, there are yeah, a lot of no, clueless guys a, who are 37 or 47. Child. You know, no, I understand. We had a child out of, out of wedlock, but we got married when we were 25. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said she was 18 and you were 17. You're talking about when you fathered the child. That's when, she had a, uh, that's when we had our first child. Got it. Okay. You know, we were not got married, it. but we got later on the road, we got married. Got it. Okay. So the kids are grown up now, 25 years of marriage. No. No? I have a, I have a, a 23-year-old, 13-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and she has the children, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So here's my thought. I'm just looking at the clock, Robert, and I, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate you taking time to sift through this. But the one thought that comes to my mind more than anything else, of course, is get right with God. And if you haven't gone to confession and really given up all of these things, then do that. If you've already done that, great. Keep going in this direction. But if you haven't gone to confession yet, do that. Get it all out there, whatever the sins are, and put them at the foot. Of, put them at the foot of the cross, 
and you're going to be battle-ready at that point. Still a little weak, but battle-ready. And you receive our Lord in, in the Holy Eucharist, pray the rosary, and ask for the strength that you're going to need to do what I'm going to propose to you, and that is pursue your wife and win her back and restore your marriage. Now, that may be an uphill battle in many ways, but that's that to me seems to be the mission that you are called to undertake, not to sit back and say, well, I guess it is what it is. I would pursue her, and spiritually speaking, not physically, I would fight for her, fight for your marriage, fight to restore it, ask God to change her heart, and all the things that go with that. And it may be a big uphill battle, but that's the battle that's set in front of you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Call, call me back some other time, Robert. I'd love to talk to you more, but I, I hope that this conversation is helpful to you. That's how it looks to me from where I stand. God bless you, Robert. Hang in there. Fight for your marriage. Until tomorrow, I'll pray for you. Please pray for me. Now.